Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Julio Alvarez, a first-generation Ecuadorian-American who has worked for some of the largest consumer brands on the planet. Over the past decade plus, he has created retail experiences for Apple, Google, Airbnb, Tumblr, and Lyft. Most recently, he championed Lyft's ability to overcome strong COVID headwinds with leadership across two mission-critical areas, health, safety, and self-driving rides. Julio is passionate about mental health and sustainability and sees them as the most pressing opportunities of our lifetime. So he's spending his post-COVID time exploring how best to add value and scale there. Fun fact about Julio, perhaps second only to Gail King, he's watched all 4,563 episodes of The Oprah Show. These days, you might call that a PhD in storytelling. Enjoy the discussion. microphone ever since i was a kid so i i like I, you know i went all out a little bit but i'm like wow yeah. this is a this is this is expected yeah no absolutely you've been training for this your whole <laughs> life <laughs> i feel that i really feel that good good how are things uh how are things this morning yeah everything is good uh good. did the weekend with family uh mm-hmm. came back last night and uh I think I'm going to do a road trip uh, today. I'm gonna Are head, you? Yeah, I'm going to head to Buffalo to see some friends from People to People International that I had also been involved with when I was in high school. And there's a bunch of them in Buffalo, and they're getting together. So I said, screw it, I'm going to do it. The other thing is, uh, do you remember in 2011, this boy named Jamie Rodemeyer committed suicide from yes, Buffalo? And Gaga, Gaga did a whole song uh, in honor of him? Yeah. Well, I've, been, I've stayed friends with his mom. Okay. And it's so interesting because she's always like, oh, every time I see you, you remind me of Jamie. And so I'm one meditation. I said, you know what? I'm going to take her out to lunch. So we're going nice. out to lunch. That's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, even in uh, even the way you said that, like in one meditation, it came to you. Like, yeah. It kind of dropped in what to do, um, which is awesome. I'm yeah. excited to talk about some of that stuff. Um, yeah. Gosh, there's so much we're going to cover. I'm not even sure to begin. But let's start with 2011. Because I think is that when we met? I think so. It was a it was a STEM event, wasn't it? At Google. 
Was it that or was it out and equal first? Uh, it was out and equal first. It was out and equal first because it was 2011. Um, President Obama had just rescinded Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yes. And the yes. only reason I would have been comfortable enough to enter the ecosphere that is out and equal <laughs> is because uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was lifted. And I had just come out at IBM. Mm. And I remember it was the week, the same week. It was like, I feel like it was October or something when it when it happened. Anyway, um, that same week I was invited to come to Out and Equal. And I was like, what's an Out and Equal? I don't mm -hmm. even know what this is. Mm -hmm. um, Were you part of the IBM group at the time? No. Or no? No. Oh, like I, I, I went on a bulletin board and I posted a paragraph. And it was the IBM wow. sort of LGBT and friends Amazing. kind of community group. And that's, I mean, I basically posted this paragraph and, and surmised what Don't Ask, Don't Tell was mm -hmm. and that I was really happy that I could be my entire self at work. And I got all these responses mm -hmm. back. And then one of those one of those responses led to an email, wow. which led to someone saying, I don't know if you've ever heard of this conference out in Equal, but IBM's a wow. presenting sponsor and we'd like you to come. And like, I think the next week I was, uh, you were there we were in, were we Dallas? Yeah. Dallas it was Dallas. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. that huge hotel. Yeah. Um, and that's where you and I met. Yeah. Gosh, that 10 was years um, ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a decade, baby. It's been a decade, <laughs> it's been a decade. And yeah. then, so that's also where I met Rob Shook. Um, and you were, you were at Google at the time. Is that right? That's right. I was at Google and, uh, we had a small contingent. Actually, from the very beginning, I think we had had a small contingent and I had caught wind about it uh, because I was looking for ways to meet other Gaglers and connect with other folks working on these types of issues within their corporations. And uh, I, I had also, I had seen a mailing list and uh, the, the, they, were, they were doing a lottery for folks who could go and I put my name in and I went and it was great. Those those were such special times because you get all these different people who are like-minded and who are driven by some sort of like, you know, passion project around yeah. making the, commu the community and the workplace more friendly, LGBTQ friendly, et cetera. And yeah, it was, oh man, that th th was, that was fun. Was, was that energy. your first out and equal too? It was my first, yeah. Wow. Dallas was my first. And then I went a few times after because there was momentum. There was projects we were working on, um, yeah. so on and so forth. We were getting bigger. We were growing at the time. Um, but, yeah, it was that was great. How great old time. were you at the time? Because I remember thinking you were like the mayor of Out and Equal. <laughs> oh, my god! I was, gosh. like, so impressed with you at the time. No, I was, I was like, uh, I was... Uh, what it was I 24 at the time wow, and okay. I was just eager I was eager yeah. to meet people I was I was eager to get out there I feel like you know being gay even though I went to NYU which was you know very liberal there was this energy of like ooh, am I allowed to do that like what is this am I allowed yes. to do this out in the workplace right. where is the space to operate here around these things yeah. and I felt that level of freedom at that event and it, yeah. was, and, and it was all shapes and sizes, all demographics, all types of, from North Grumman to Google. I mean, you mm -hmm. name it. There was such a, an, an array of people. And, yeah. 
Well, thank you for having me on this. I'm, it's of so, course. I'm, I'm so excited to be talking with you, and I'm so proud of how much this Coffee and Change podcast has grown from the brand to the followership to the range of thank people you. on this. It's been beautiful to see. Thank you. Yeah, it, it has been um, quite a companion is what I would say. Well, and like it's, it's, it's like every, every once in a while it feels like you're reuniting with an old friend, and that's what we're doing mm, this morning. That's right. right? Like that's exactly we, we have known each other 10 years. Um, the other, the other thing you mentioned, which I, which I would love to just talk about briefly was the, the, um, out in STEM conference. Mm. So out in science, technology, engineering, and math, after we met at out and equal connected, one of the things you did, I believe was hosted, yeah. um, the out in science, technology, engineering, and math conference at Google, New York. Is that right? Yeah. One of the things I was awakened to at out and equal as a member of the Gaglers, which is the gay, you know, the, the name of the group, the cheeky name of the group. The gay Google, Googlers. Yeah. The gay Googlers. <laughs> is we had all of this momentum. We had all of this growth. We had all these wonderful resources. How could I not find a way to use them in service of the community? So I think when I came back, light bulbs went off that said, oh, this is interesting. We have money. We have space. We have really smart people. We're doing really interesting things. Let's use the resources as we could to try and move the needle on different issues. That that was my takeaway from going to Out in Tech and setting up the booth and get you know everything from giving out the little you know lipsticks to the pens and the so on and the, the breakout sessions. I thought, wow, there's momentum here. There's something really interesting here. There's a way to turn this into an act of service and touch more people in the community. So when I came back among the many things was STEM, seeing how do we create like a space for uh, this work right in the city. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was so interesting too, because I remember you and I talked about it and, and to your point around how momentous and community driven the work was, yeah. I had the opportunity to work at the time with a very small group of students at Johns Hopkins University where, uh, where I went to undergrad and I had helped start JHU Pride around that time, mm -hmm. which was their, remember. now technically it wasn't their first LGBT mm -hmm. um, alumni group. If you think about it, like most universities, there were probably attempts of this, you know, yes. put together an alumni group in maybe the 70s or 80s, even 90s. And they all fizzled out because of, because of all the things that people were up against, you know, not wanting to, not wanting to be visible, not wanting to mm -hmm. come out, worried about that. So I sort of restarted it. Mm. And one of the first events we had was to sponsor students in the STEM program at Johns Hopkins who identified as LGBTQ. Wow. And, and it was interesting because you, you hosted um, OSTEM and different students from different schools came. Yeah. And I remember the discussion with the students at Hopkins and they said, we'd love to be able to go to OSTEM mm. um, this year, but we, we don't have money for the transportation mm. we don't have money for the hotels and you know they were a new group and yeah. jhu pride wasn't even that much of a thing and so it's not like they had this bundle of money sitting around you yeah know? um it's not like you go go to the uh, advancement office and sure say, sure cut us a check yeah exactly and you know to be fair there were still some people on, on campus uh and alumni who thought jhu pride was like the cheerleading group for the lacrosse team <laughs> Mm. Not the LGBT group. <laughs> um, and don't think I didn't use that to my advantage, by the way. Seriously. Um, so what did happened, they know? 
I know, right? I was like, they think they're showing up for a pep rally. And meanwhile, I'm like, here's a rainbow flag. Here's a rainbow flag. Here's a rainbow flag. Oh, I love that. Um, so what happened was I got creative. And as you recall, and you know, I'm, I'm a consultant. I've been consulting for almost two decades now, which is pretty crazy. Mm. So I had all these Marriott points. Mm. And I said to these students, what if I could put you up in hotel rooms? And what if I covered the transportation and they were like oh my gosh if you did that we'd send as many people as we could because they wanted you know yes. they wanted to to send a contingent and that's what you to, call finding a way to yes <laughs> exactly right you say to yourself okay there's these challenges there's these these reasons why it may not happen yeah and then you find a way to yes so i got creative i looked at all my marriott points i called up the marriott Love and that. i said i'm booking these rooms on behalf of these students. Mm. And then I called up uh, Hopkins and I said, you all need to help me find a transportation company because mm. you can do that and I'm going to pay for it. And they were like, awesome. Well, we'll throw in a little bit of money because we want this to be. So they threw in some money. I threw in some money. And what made me so proud and to this day in my office, wow. there's a picture that we took at, uh, on the rooftop at Google wow. in New York because Johns Hopkins had the second largest contingent of students wow. at that conference. And kudos to that. They were so proud. And, and there's this picture of us. And I think you might have taken the picture. I think you might be mm -hmm. in the picture. Remember, we went out to that beautiful balcony yes. that has a view of the, the Empire State yes. Building. Yes, it's the cafeteria deck. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we went out and we took this picture. And I still look at this picture. What was so oh, beautiful about that. this story is these students then took the picture. They went and got like a, a special Johns Hopkins frame. So it's got the oh. seal and everything else. And they sent it to me. And it hangs in oh. my office. And you made that possible. Wow. Wow. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, it, I tell you, the greatest joy came from those moments. If I had to look back at the arc of my career, anytime I was in flow or at my brightest or where I felt the most reward, it was helping to put things together that, were, that, that connected people and helped them experience something new and exciting yeah. and different. And hearing that is so is such a joy to me because I there is no greater um, satisfaction for trying to organize an event than to see to this day that photo on your wall or on yes. your desk that you still reflect on. Uh, and you'll remember that fondly. And that, that makes me really happy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you got involved or you've been involved with an organization called Out in Tech, right? Yeah, I believe you were on the board of an organization called Out in Tech. And I would love for you to talk about that. And then I would love for you to tell you to tell, you know, to share the story about how that then found its way back to me, even out here on the West Coast. Yeah, well, so Out in Tech was interesting. I built on this momentum of OSTEM and going out and equal. I started to realize a few years into Google that the friends that I had made through the Gagler organization, and at the time I was managing the budget of the New York office, helping to run local events, helping to connect the dots with different charities, et cetera, aside from my core work um, as a product marketer. And what I realized is, is as people were leaving Google and going to startups, be it 25 people, 50 people, even 100, 200 people, the feedback I would get from connecting with them outside of the office was, oh, I feel a little alone. I'm not sure who else is like me. Um, I don't think they have an ERG, an employee resource group. I'm not really sure. I don't feel comfortable sending an email. And I thought, huh, 
that's interesting. Like something that we take for granted being such a big company and having it so publicly visible, uh, not everyone has access to. And so one winter, I remember at the time I was living right across from the office in some tiny little apartment in Chelsea. And so my, my justification for having such a small apartment was that I could just walk across the street, badge in, and have this huge facility 24 hours to just do things with, to tinker around. Uh, and I remember gathering a couple of other friends, going into a room with a full, you know, one of those beautiful rooms that have painted whiteboards, like the whiteboard yes, paint, and the I whole wall it. is whiteboard. You could write everywhere. Oh, yes. Lord. So one of those, and we were just etching different brands. You know, it was going to be plug-in NYC at first. And the idea was that you're plugging into the city, you're plugging into NYC, you're plugging into, you know, Chicago, you're plugging into London, but that it was a little cheeky um, and maybe too cheeky. So we, we had a couple of different manifestations and sketches on the wall and we ended up going with Out in Tech and it started as a volunteer only thing. Um, there was a bar called Industry in Hell's Kitchen. And yeah. I'll never forget this. I was just there the other weekend with a few gigglers. I, I hosted a little just get together. Uh, his name is Bob Panarelli, terrific guy. He owns a few places uh, in New York City. It was a Wednesday night. And I said to him, hey, can we just get the corner, like the back corner? We only need it for like 50, 75 people. I don't know what this is gonna be. This is like a pilot test, it's like a flash test. We uh, hosted our first event and we had maxed out the place with 700 people. I remember yep. him in the front being like, oh my God, we need to call more bartenders. We don't have enough. And that was the moment that I realized we hit a nerve, that there was this yes. community of people at different companies who wanted to feel that connection. And that was the birth of Out in Tech, which is now you know, the largest um, LGBT organization internationally. They have a full-time staff with a, a wonderful executive director and a team, programs team. And they're constantly doing different kinds of events localized uh, across the world to help um, you know, cultivate talent and the sharing of ideas and exchanging uh, of work and jobs and opportunities uh, within the LGBTQ community. And it's really, it's a blessing. It's so, so cool to see. Yeah, t t I really appreciate you kind of walking through that origin story of that organization. And I encourage people who may be interested to look up Out in Tech because they do they do incredible work. As you said, they've become this international organization. Yeah. Um, I will also say that their Slack channel is one of the most altruistic. Yes. Uh, community-driven Slack channels I've ever been a yes. part of. And I say that uh, very mindfully because within the Slack channel, there are many there are many channels based on regions and based yes. on cities. And I'm not kidding when I say this. There are people that are posting for jobs, asking for jobs, and getting jobs within yes. 15 to 20 minutes. Yes. And these are really good jobs. Yes. Product ownership agile you know scrum masters yeah. like all developers and it's all happening in this in this uh slack channel live for you to watch it it just warms my heart when i see it because there's these young talented beautiful people mm. who feel unseen yes i the give them so much credit that the team uh has done a fantastic job trying to, and even with COVID, trying to adapt and cultivate yes. community digitally through Slack, making people feel seen, making people feel heard, giving yeah. people a forum and a space to put themselves out there. I take no credit for that. That Slack thing has grown organically in such a beautiful way. In fact, my husband is British and we just moved to New York um, recently. And 
For a while, he wouldn't post on Slack, but he just did the other day. He just um, manifested the courage to go and say, hey, I'm British, I'm new to America, I'm an iOS engineer, I'm looking to meet other like-minded people. And within moments, you, there was just a chain of folks who were interested in getting together for something impromptu, uh, yeah. which is great. It's magical. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and in and, and like the power of community, I mean, the, the, the great thing even out here in Seattle, I mean, you and I obviously connected in DC and New York. Yeah. We're very kind of East Coast, East Coast focused, you know, um, personalities, if you will. Yeah. And then I moved out here to Seattle about six, almost seven years ago, which is pretty crazy. And I remember just the past couple years reaching back out to you and saying, hey, Julio, we need an out in tech chapter in Seattle, man. Mm. This town is bustling with yeah, tech talent. Totally. And you connected me with the executive director and yeah. we chatted for a while and, and oh, I thought I about, that. okay, We've got, uh, we've got, you know, my own organization's ERG. We've got my alumni ERG. We've got, and I said, there's so many of these intersections happening. And very similar to what you described, we hosted our first, uh, I should say they hosted. I, I just basically put the word out there and <laughs> gathered a few people. Totally. Hosted their first Out in Tech Seattle event. I think they said they were expecting about 20 to 50 people. There were 200 people wow. that showed up. So like 10x. Wow. And, and they were like, wow, we didn't realize how much the, this community needed this. And to yeah. your point, they've continued to interact via Slack and other, and other um, channels even during the pandemic. So it, it all goes to this find a way to yes. Um, yes. And, and there's such, I remember that about you when you were 24, right? Mm. People, would, people say that sometimes you know, youth, you don't necessarily have the wisdom and the, and the knowledge and yeah. the access, but you have drive and yeah. you had a vision and you yeah. made it happen. So yeah. thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. And, and the, the important thing to call out here is even amidst the uncertainty, we just tried it. Like every, people used to ask right. me, how did, how did you think of that? How did you do that? Like, and the, the truth is, is it was just an inkling. It was um, getting still and listening to, hang on a second. How come the doctors have an event? How come the entertainment space has the an lawyers. event? How come the lawyers have an event? How come the bankers have events? Like, where are the tech? Where's the tech community? Um, and it, it started just like that. It was a whisper at a bar where we were talking yep. it through, thinking, "Oh wow, you're at this company. I'm at this. How how come we don't?" How come we don't have something like that? And and then, as you saw in your in your first event and the, the first event that was happening with you, the, you hit a nerve and you thought, yeah. "Wow, th there is there is a need for community here." Yeah, yeah. So. I love I love how you describe that. Like, listen to the whisper. That's something that that I think runs through both of us in our yeah. in our in our path and our trajectory. Um, would would love to hear shift gears a little bit. So you you were at Google. And then can you talk a little bit about uh, your path after Google, kind of where you went, and then may, maybe wind up to kind of where you're at now? I know there's a lot in between those pathways that we'll get into, but just for the sake of um, kind of setting the scene. Sure. So I had, I had gotten, after four years at Google, uh, I was my last year I was in the UK uh, doing a one-year stint to get some international experience. Then I came back to the United States, and this was soon after uh, Marissa Mayer had uh, moved over to Yahoo, and Tumblr was trying to integrate into the Yahoo ecosystem. So having done some work with her um, on Google for Doodle, uh, 
um, which was another kind of thing that I would do on the side because it was fun and exciting, went over to Tumblr uh, and helped them out, um, David Karp at the time for, for that year, figure out and define what does product marketing look like in the Tumblr organization. And then as these things happen, you know, I was, when I was at Google, I was in the APMM program, the Associate Product Marketing Manager program. It's akin to the APM program, which is the Associate Product Manager program. And these were started at Google early days and they were basically fast tracks. So you'd do a two year, you'd do a rotation, you'd get thrown in with the sharks and your job was to learn quickly and fail fast and figure out how to build the skills needed to become a successful tech marketer. And so on the heels of that, we had a really, there's only a, there's only a handful of people each year that are part of that and you have a class. And so part of my class, we're still friends to this day and everyone's doing really interesting things. It turned out that one of my colleagues, Alan Mask, who is a genius and such a wonderful human being, uh, had left Google to work at Airbnb. And this was in San Francisco and their intention was to widen the aperture of the business offering. So go up to a higher end, talk to the Mr. and Mrs. Marriott's of the world. So that is what is present day Airbnb Plus and Airbnb Lux was because Airbnb was traditionally a backpacking type brand. I mean, some people see it that way, not others do, but you know, um, that was how it was born. And we wanted to expand into, and, and into different markets and touch more um, audience segments. So long story short, I went over to Airbnb and moved to San Francisco, which I never thought I would do. And I actually yeah. really enjoyed it and uh, helped launch th those bits, uh, Airbnb Plus and Lux, which was such an interesting um, at arc in my journey because we had purchased a company called Luxury Retreats in Montreal and we had to integrate the business. So yeah. being part of that integration was, was very rewarding and very exciting. Um, and then uh, as it happens, another friend from the APMM program at Google was at Lyft and they were looking to think through their hospitality in ride and starting to think about autonomous vehicles and self-driving rides. And to me, that was very exciting because you know, my mom ha is permanently disabled. She has a metal aluminum rod in her back from a surgery. And so driving is very fearful for her. And I thought, wow, this would be interesting. At some point in the next decade, we're gonna start to see AVs on the road mm -hmm. in small scales, but they will grow. And this could be an interesting act of service, a way of me getting involved in this for someone like my mom who would benefit from it. So I, I hopped over from, uh, from Airbnb to Lyft and ended up working on that. And then COVID happened. And yeah. when COVID happened, um, I was redeployed internally to help lead the health safety policy. What were we gonna do? How, were we gonna require masks? Wow. Were we gonna keep the front seat clear? What happens if someone takes their mask off in ride? Are we gonna provide um, shield mechanisms in the car to create separation and space between the driver and the rider, et cetera? Uh, and had worked on that and helped helped see it through um, to the end. And uh, now I'm here talking to you, having wow. relocated from San Francisco back to New York and uh, having just left Lyft actually uh, to try and figure out what the next thing is for me. Yeah, well, I, I think, first of all, I think it's so amazing, you know, the story that you, you talk about both Airbnb as well as Lyft, because one of the things that it's just so clear to me and I can close my eyes and see it like, and I'm going to ask you this question. What does it feel like knowing 
that some of the stuff you got to work on, some of the ideas that you brainstormed and suggested are literally in place. So when people are in a lift and they feel safe, you've got the shield, you've got the you know the plastic between. Yeah. When you've got the policies, and I've been I've been in lift. I don't I don't own a car here in Seattle. I I, I, I take lift a lot. Yeah. Um, most recently, having taken a lift to go get my second vaccine, and mm. the president, you know, came out and said basically anybody yeah. that's going to get the vaccine, will their lift will be covered. I mean, those are things that are touching everybody's yeah. lives in an everyday way. Yeah. How does that? What does that feel like? I mean, do you think about that or no? Like oh, maybe is is me supplanting that in your mind? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's energizing. Um, yeah. There is no. There are three moments that always run run in my tape when I'm on a plane and I'm walking to the restroom and I see someone using Google Docs or Google Drive offline because at Google I was I was working on that. So seeing them. Uh, navigating their Google Docs offline or adding stuff to a folder and it's like oh I remember I remember working on that you know deciding where the logo placement was and figuring out how we'd organize the hierarchy of of um, the navigation etc um, to Airbnb whenever I see a host who is going above and beyond it it brings me joy because it's like we built this business in service of those folks of you you know the one who puts the chocolate on the pillow or writes a little right. thank you note or goes above and beyond to make sure you're set up for success. Like that is, that was the intention by Airbnb plus and Lyft, like seeing drivers, uh, love every time I get into a Lyft, I always have conversations with drivers and it brings me so much joy when they thank us or, or they, uh, talk through the things that we're doing to try and keep them safe on the road. So yeah, it is not lost on me. Um, in great. fact, it is it is recognizing that gravity and the impact of how many people you're touching that I think makes me so focused on the detail and the nuance in the work because the details do matter for those people. Right. Uh, and it makes all the difference, I think. I'm, I'm curious, and this just popped in my head. I'm, sure. I'm pretty sure the answer is no, but is there... Does a Lyft driver know that they've got a Lyft employee in their car when you get in a Lyft? No, not on the default. Okay, and you know, some people, some people prefer to keep quiet, but I love yeah. sharing it. I love mm -hmm. to, uh, letting them know that I'm a Lyft employee because I, I use it as a, you know, an impromptu UX session. And I yes. think, I think, you know, five minutes with a user in the car, even if they know I'm an employee, is worth more than, you know, hours of sifting through forums because I get to intimately prod and get to the root at how they're feeling and what's working and what's not working. And also right. I leave feeling so inspired. There are so many, I was working on the AMP, the, the new AMP that's, that's going to come out. And it was, it is the most rewarding thing to see a driver with an amp, know that I'm on a 20 minute ride and just sit there and prod how, what's working, what's not working, where are the gaps in the experience? Where can we make this better for you? Mm -hmm. And they leave feeling happy because they've been heard. Everyone wants to feel heard and seen. And I leave happy because I've just captured some nuggets of information that's going to inform the product roadmap or inform the marketing brief or push the design to be even stronger, if that makes sense. Absolutely, totally makes sense. And, and even if you think about, um, I mean, these are, these are very like tactile, but also very intimate experiences, right? Yeah. When somebody's driving to go visit a friend or going to see family, um, you know, I think it's also, we think about these things differently now too, because during the pandemic so much was closed. Mm. So it's not like we were jumping in a lift to go meet friends at a bar. If you were jumping in a lift, you were probably going to see someone um, 
for a really good reason. Yes. Um, or, or get somewhere to get something. Yes. And even people that needed to, to use it to get, you know, essentials and groceries and things like that. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a landscape of, yes. of intimate moments, frankly. And we which, saw that. And we saw yeah. that the first year is that these drivers who are essential workers, who were really hustling on the road to deliver a safe and effective experience, knew that they were acting in service of people who needed to get from A to B, whether they were doctors or nurses or phlebotomists or you Mm -hmm. name it, having to get from A to B in a world where we weren't sure what was going on and how long this thing was gonna last. And it was very humbling to interview drivers and, you know, watch how this thing was unfolding because we we really didn't know i mean hindsight's twenty twenty, right it's easy to look back now that we have vaccines and things are going back to this we're forming this new normal i don't like saying back to normal because we're not going back to normal we're right. we're we're reestablishing this post-covid mm-hmm. era but um it was it's easy to look back but at the time every day was like oh what what's going to happen this time what's the new thing that we mm-hmm. need to solve for to make sure our community feel safe on the road and it was both nerve-wracking but also very humbling and exciting um yeah to be be able able to to work on that to be able to work on that and know that my ability to stay close to the customer and my ability to have the empathy the level of empathy for the customer that i had by talking to them all the time i put back into the work to make sure that it was of the highest fidelity and it was not perfect these things are imperfect um, but we sure as heck did the best that we could um, out there, um, and the team was was fabulous. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really glad you shared that because I think people listening will, you know, they'll think about these kind of transactional moments. What seems to be transactional is a little more transformative. So I appreciate you sharing that. You 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 mentioned a word I'd love to kind of grab hold of. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and ride it like a comet. Ah. Uh, e- empathy. Mm. Um, you and I connected obviously recently. We've both watched this incredible series on oh, Apple TV. Yeah, uh, the me you can't see. Mm. Um, you have been listening, reading um, the book by Dr. Perry and Oprah. What happened mm. to you? Can you maybe jump kind of from one lily pad of sort of the professional mm. Julio Alvarez <laughs> to the to the the personal. There's yeah. been a lot of growth. I mean, we've known each other mm-hmm. 10 years. We've both been through a tremendous amount of growth. We've had the opportunity to kind of check in with each other along the way, and yeah. it's been a real honor for me on that. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, what that has been like. You've gone through a lot of personal transformation, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about that. Well, thank you for asking that question. I think, well, first of all, the me you can't see is a phenomenal piece of work that has put together by some of the leading um, researchers and doctors on mental health in addition to Oprah and Harry. Uh, And it was a real eye-opener for me um, because it is framed around this fundamental concept that we live in this world where we operate around, oh, what's wrong? You know, if a deadline doesn't get hit, what's wrong? Or if someone's, your partner's acting out in a certain way, what's wrong? Or if your kid's not happy right now, what's wrong? You have nothing to be wrong about. Everything is fine, I, you know, et cetera. And I, the reframe is important. What's wrong is actually lacks accuracy and it's accusatory. Mm-hmm. What happened to you 
is a whole new way of framing what is actually the root of how these behaviors are showing up. And for me, it's really changed the way I think about how I show up in the world because I did come from a background where uh, I was always, I wanted to, I was stuck in this feelings of perfection that I wanted to look good, perfect, at perfect, do everything perfect. And only when I did that, then no one would notice any of my faults or any of my, any things that were may could have been wrong with me. And in the past year, especially with COVID, having had so many family members, not only family members been hospitalized, but working, seeing so many Americans um, and people around the world die and working on this project with Lyft where, I mean, it was, it could have been life or death for certain people. You know, you're putting yourself at risk going out there driving and we don't know if this is airborne or not. And there was so much uncertainty and all these emotions came rushing to my head. It was almost as though the world had put up one big mirror and everyone had the opportunity to just stare in front of that mirror for a prolonged period of time. And all of these things started to come up for me. Uh, and I realized I had been spending a lot of my time thinking about what's wrong, what's wrong, fix this, do this, do this. If there was a problem, there was a quick solution. Uh, and what I have come to now recognize is it doesn't actually work that way. And the me you can't see is a manifestation of this this um, framework uh, away from what's wrong and towards what happened to you. And it's only when you can understand what happened to you that the world and your life and your behaviors and everything in it starts to unravel and make sense to you. And that has been a big unlock for me, both in work, but also my professional life. It's really, it's changed my life. It's changed the way I look at my life. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I love, I love, I love the the word unlock. Like it's such a, it's such a generous word because it literally paints a picture in people's mind, right? Like they yeah. can picture um, a key opening a door. You can picture mm-hmm. a padlock being opened, right? It, it, it's a symbol and a sound and a sensation mm-hmm. that that evokes. That. Yeah, and it just evokes the sense of like, okay, there's there's something behind. There's something beyond um that barrier and i know one of the things that you and i have also connected on um is how meditation and mindfulness has has started to um thread itself into your life Mm. um and i would love for you to talk a little bit about that because i think even if i think back to the 10 years ago right the younger bill and the younger julio right we were like we definitely weren't meditating in new york yeah no (laughs) yeah yeah, I was. I felt like I was going a hundred miles an hour in my twenties, and I was go 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 go. The next thing, the next thing. I have to tell you a quick story to answer this question. Um, sure. There was a moment in 2018 where I went to this um, spiritual retreat called the Hoffman Process. The tagline is when you're serious about tr- change, and the the principle of this thing it's an event. It's a seven days, and you get you tucked away in a very um, wonderful area. They have a few, ones in Connecticut, ones in Napa, etc. And the intention is to con- understand the patterns, the negative thought patterns that you developed from either your mom or your dad as a kid and how those manifest and show up in your life today. And uh, it took me, before I had gone to this, I had never meditated in my life. The idea of getting still and find, finding that quiet space in your life to get still and ask yourself the tough questions. Who am I? What do I want? 
why am I here? What do I care about? What do I really... What's the point? What's the point? <laughs> yeah. I never stopped to think about those things. And um, long story short, Hoffman had a lot of that. And it, and it really now has, has grown for me into a daily meditation practice. Thanks to, you know, the, the likes of like Headspace and Calm, for example. I, I'm so fascinated by what they're doing to try and normalize it, but also help people get into meditation but there is something so beautiful about the way I like to think about it is like a daily check-in. If you're a manager, you have check-ins with your reportees every week. Sometimes you, when there's a high priority project, it's multiple times a day. It's a stand-up. You know, engineers have daily stand-ups. What does that stand-up with yourself look like? Like, how's my body doing? How's my intellect doing at that desk? You know, writing your to-do lists. How's my emotional self doing right now? How's my spirit doing? Let me just check in with all of these senses of myself, then proceed into the day. And um, it has redefined how I show up in my life with my family, with my friends, what I care about in work, all because what I have learned to do, what I've recognized now is the most important relationship that you will ever have is not with your mom, is not with your sister, is not with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's with yourself. Yeah. It is with yourself. And if you do not have stability and an understanding of yourself, then nothing else will really follow from that. Everything follows from understanding yourself and being first. And I didn't understand that in my, in my 20s. I didn't understand that. I was, I, was, I was leaning into the do. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to be at all these big companies. I need to work on these big campaigns. I need to, and once I do that, then I will have these things. And then I can be. And I realized, hang on a second, it actually doesn't work that way. I need to be first and understand who is Julio and what does Julio care about. That propels the doing and decides, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And once you do that, then you can have. Uh, and and that, that framework for me, I didn't get for a while until I started to build a meditation practice, a stillness practice, or for people who don't like the notion of meditation, call it a daily check-in with yourself. If that's what you need to um, uh, take the first step, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how did you discover or learn about the Hoffman process? That's a good question. I, I, um, I was at the time in what I felt like was the height of my career working at Airbnb under some great leadership on a really interesting project. We were integrating this company we had bought, Luxury Retreats, and we were trying to build a, a more up-leveled, elevated brand for the business. And my um, one of the executives had come to me once and said, you are well-intentioned but poorly misunderstood. And I didn't quite understand what that meant at the time. In fact, I noticed the, I started to tense up in my chest. Uh, and I, I, what I now recognize was a defensive triggering energy. And I didn't recognize it at the time. And uh, he mentioned that to me, well-intentioned but poorly misunderstood. You should go to Hoffman. Uh, and I thought, well, what is that? And why would I, why would I go to that? And um, he had been to Hoffman uh, as long as, uh, as well as some of his friends. And 
I looked it up and I couldn't find much about it on the internet. And I said to him, I called him back up and I was like, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to do this. Like, this is expensive for me. And he said, when was the last time you had ever invested in yourself? And I don't mean buying a self-help book or buying you a vacation to a spa or buying, you know, a nice new bag or something. I'm talking about taking the time to invest in yourself, in your well-being. And he stopped me then in my tracks. I actually couldn't answer that because the last time I had done it was college, you know, invest in myself, pay for this degree. Um, and I was really touched by that because what I now recognize is there were moments in my childhood, my relationship between my dad and I particularly were, were rough. I mean, I never felt like I belonged in the home as a gay man, as a gay Latin man growing up in a suburban uh, conservative neighborhood of Long Island. And we were always at odds. And in fact, um, there was a moment where, you know, I had been removed from the house in high school from a disagreement and uh, didn't talk to him for a decade. No discussion with my father at all, went completely silent. And at the time in my 20s when that happened, I thought, well, I'm a hotshot. I'm getting into NYU and Columbia and I'm going to go conquer the world and I'm going to go do what I want to do. And he doesn't even bother me. This is this means nothing. And I see this a lot, by the way, people saying, ah, writing it off. It's not a big deal. And what I now recognize via this manager, this lead executive at Airbnb of mine was I wasn't, I was bothered by it. And it was showing up in ways that I were not serving me at work, in ways that I would see people who reflected that energy and would trigger me and dysregulate me at work in small ways, in, in meetings here and there, or with one particular person or another. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what is going on? You know, I used to say I'm like cilantro. 90% of people love me and 10% can't stand me, and I'm okay with that. And I used to, it used to be the running joke, you know, people would say, ah, I would say, I'm like cilantro, honey. You know, have you ever had it? Some people, it tastes like soap. Some people love it. Uh, and what I now recognize is that 10% were moments where I was not showing up the way I wanted to because I had childhood trauma that I had not resolved. And what Hoffman did for me was slow me down and show me that, hey, there are connections between the way you're behaving in this moment with this individual and how you were taught to love, how you were loved, how you learned to love back in your childhood. And I needed to make that connection in order to move through it and become a bigger, better version of myself. And that's the answer. That's how I found it. Yeah. Wow. I, I can, you know, I can definitely relate to that because there's such a power in this aspect of somebody kind of pulling you aside and saying hey i don't think you realize the effect you're having on people um and 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 oftentimes it is you know we are in this drive we are driven and as young gay men i think there's always this sense of I'm not going to be accepted. Yes. I'm not going to be loved. I'm, I'm going to be misunderstood. So one of the things that I know that I struggled with was this sense of I have to do almost three times the amount of work. Mm. Because if I do three times the amount of work, 
then one of those three is likely Work to out. get through. Yeah. And that's exhausting. Yes. And your nerves are frayed. Yes. And your brain is fried and your heart is broken every single day. And it's no wonder, best of intentions. Yes, but, wow. But not the impact. I right? hadn't and thought about it that way before, wow. Yeah, I mean, think about that, right? Go back and go back and have a conversation with 24-year-old Julio. And that's the part about what I think is so powerful about getting to know yourself is you can do that. If you, if you spend time doing this work you're talking about, you can go back and say, hey, 24-year-old, yeah. <laughs> I know you're going a million miles an hour and you're taking on all these different things. And it's great. And I also see that you're in pain. Yes. I also see that like you were rejected. And part of the reason that you're taking on so many of these things is because it feels good yes. to be wanted. It feels good to belong. It feels good to be included in something. Yes. And you, 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 it goes back to the book. What happened to you? Yes, that's absolutely right. It was, I was going, 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 and I felt like the more that I would do, the easier it was to escape the realities of these things that had happened to me in the past because I was misfor you know, there was lack of fortune for me. It just, things weren't working out back then, but it's okay now. I'm, I'm better now. Um, and what I realized uh, is that your life is always speaking to you. And there are, back to my comment of these whispers, there are always these whispers. There always has been these whispers. I will never forget moments where in my 20s, uh, when I wasn't, I told you I'd, I, I hadn't talked to my dad for a decade. He basically, uh, I basically was kicked out in high school and had to find somewhere else to live because we were just at complete odds. And I remember, you know, the visual that comes to my mind is tantamount to the Hulk turning into the Hulk. I said, okay, I'll be fine. I'm going to figure it out. I, I like Stone Cold Steve Austin style or like The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out and I'll be just fine. And I carried around this, as Brene talks about this 20 ton shield of like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do more and, and pay back my loans myself and take care of everything and be financially independent and not have to worry about you. And what I now recognize is I actually did really need to process that. I actually did have, what happened to me is an important question. And um, it has caused me to slow down, especially now, post COVID, thinking about, okay, get off the Silicon Valley train for a moment, stop what you're doing, get still, and try figuring out what is it that I want and what is it that I really care about? Because previously the answer to that was driven by this need to um, avoid shame and avoid blame and to make sure that um, I was tough. I was, I was staying New York tough. And now I recognize that um, holding on to that was not healthy and that I have learned to forgive my father and have now since reconnected with him. And on the other side of that forgiveness was freedom for me. The freedom to just be able to text him or be able to recognize that like, yeah, I did do that or I did feel this way or that did happen to me in the past. Um, and things that happened yesterday do not define what I will do or how I will show up tomorrow um, when, when they were. 
Um, and that was a big aha for me. And, and I, I really credit Hoffman to initiating that for me and await, you know, I used to hate this word awakening, but I, I, I love it now and I feel it now more than ever. I, I, I'll, I'll have coffee with someone and be like, oh, honey, you are not awakened yet. Like you are unconscious right now, but you know what? I'm gonna be, my job is to be here and to support you in this moment and let you feel heard because that is what people want. But oof, um, I go home and I pray and I think, wow, good for me. Like I, I, I'm awake enough to notice these things now in a way that I never used to be able to. Yeah, and I think you 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 describe that beautifully. Your job is just to be there. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I've done so much work myself in in discovering and getting to know myself and and how I'm wired and how I move through the world. One of the things I was recently reminded by someone was my job is not to answer all the questions. Mm. And I thought, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I mean, can yeah. you imagine, Julio? Like, can you imagine telling our 20-year-old selves? I know. Hey, your job is not to have all the answers. <laughs> I mean, wait, what? Like, well, then yeah. what is my purpose? What is my drive? What yeah. is my, my, my compass? And I'm now realizing this in my 40s, but that is such, I mean, talk about a gift, right? Yes. To be able to say to yourself, you can be just as curious. You can have as much inquiry you can have as much drive, and your job is not to have all the answers to the questions. Yes. In fact, most of the questions are not even your questions. Yes. You're, you're a vessel. You're a vessel of trust that people, because they can pick up on the empathy and because they can pick up on the compassion, they lay those questions at your feet. Yes. Does not mean you have to pick them up. For sure. And the other thing I realized um, that I have really come to appreciate, which I hope you know, people listening to, to your work on this podcast are also on their journey is, you know, I'm not a very, before going to Hoffman, I'm not a very spiritual person. I didn't go to church. I, I don't really like, I don't, I didn't really have a spiritual practice. But what I now understand is there is that, that inner knowing. I, I think of it as like the spiritual GPS, that thing inside you that when you get still, always knows the right answer, even if the answer is just to listen or just to throw the question out and see what comes. I, I have now through meditation become attuned to what is it that my spiritual GPS feels and what, um, what it's trying to say to me. And there were moments in my career where I didn't notice that I would, and, and it would be like, oh, that's weird. You know, I, I don't like this person or why did I get so angry? Why did my body tense up when that person said that to me? I don't understand. Like, or why does this thing not feel right to me? And I would pattern trace it and realize, okay, it's, it's here up in my top left shoulder. Like I feel that tension. I don't understand. Ah, screw it. And now with med, I get still and I say, okay, what is happening? Where is it happening? And then where is that coming from? And it's through that exercise that I'm able to process it and move through. And the answer seems to just the come. Uh, just drops in. Yeah. The answer drops in and it's, it's, beautiful and miraculous once you um, start to to recognize that um, so yeah yeah and it also I think it's also really important to to you know name the truth that is you had to put down your 20 tons of armor yes right like if you've got 20 tons of armor on 
it's going to hurt yes. after a while. And, and, and probably even more importantly, nothing's going to get through. Yes. So there's all these messages and all these answers that are trying to get through and present themselves to you because you are this walking, talking, breathing vessel. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to get through. Um, and that's yeah. a really important message for people um, who are listening and, and, and everyone in my life that I share this with. That 20-ton shield for me came off when I found forgiveness for my father. And I had no freaking idea that that's what that was going to do. It is like, it is like this, this poison. For, not willing to forgive is like a poison running through your veins. And it, it, it harbors itself and manifests itself in such weird ways. And what I learned is that there were moments at work where someone would show up and remind me of my father. And I would immediately change tune and turn into the Hulk and feel like, oh, this person, they, they're walking around acting like they know everything as opposed to being humble and having empathy for the user. Like, I do not like you for that. And I realized, oh, my father used to walk around thinking like he knew everything and used to have, never have empathy for me. He used to never make me feel like I belonged or like I was loved. And I realized I was transferring that onto other people, not all the time, but enough times that I noticed it. And I, COVID did for me, which is, which like, much like it is doing for a lot of people is shaking. It shook me to wake up, to realize, hang on, all I have, I have to sit here and get still and realize what is this thing that is bothering me? It is the fact that I would go in my 20s and talk, go to Christmas, go to Thanksgiving at my family's house, my dad's side. And my dad, without looking at me, would get up when I would walk into the kitchen, he'd get up and he'd walk out into another room and not even acknowledge me because we had this tension and this disagreement with each other. And I remember kind of like a Dementor taking over the train to Hogwarts, for those of you who know the Harry Potter reference. Everything got dark in the room in that moment. And it was like, ooh, there's this thing. There's this weird tension, but we're just gonna pretend we don't see it and just walk away from it. And that went on for a decade. And finally, and then the rest of the day, I would feel like shit, frankly. I would, I would be messed up in the head. My, my heart would beat a little faster. My muscles would be a little more tense and I'd shrug it off. Um, and then I, I, with, through COVID, I came to realize, wow, um, this, I need to learn how to release this and let go of this in a way that I never have before. Um, and it was only through uh, getting still. It was only through understanding, okay, where is that coming from? Okay, here's where, here's where originally having empathy for my father. Okay, he came here at 19. He didn't know. Um, he didn't understand how to show up. He didn't read any books on how to do this. He didn't have any classes. Uh, and I, I, I managed to find forgiveness. And actually, just the other day, he came over to the house with my husband and I's apartment in New York and helped us with dimmer switches, you know, install some new dimmer switches. And so it's funny how it comes full circle. It's like a man that... I never felt like um, loved me fully and didn't talk to me for 10 years and who was manifesting anger in me that I would show up with at work and in my relationships. I've now learned to let go and forgive. And there is a, a an amount of freedom that has come from that, that I felt compelled to share it with more people because I know that there are people listening to this who maybe have um, 
not decided not to forgive somebody or decided it's not important to forgive somebody or decided uh, whatever. I don't need to be bothered with that. But I would urge people to think just as though life is whispering, this is your whisper that like maybe it is less about that person and more about you and the freedom that unveils itself for you when you're able to let that go and move forward, if that makes sense. That's beautiful. I, I just, I mean, there's so much going through me right now. I mean, really, it's, I, I will say, I love the Harry Potter analogy too, because, you know, the Dementor, for those that know, um, you know, when the Dementor is present, it literally sucks the life out of you. And you find yourself unable to think, right? Unable to breathe a little bit. You're confused. It's all that. And I think the other piece that I love about you sharing that is it reminds me you found your Patronus, yeah. right? And this is what this is what the the oh, power of that. forgiveness, right? The power of forgiveness. You like mm-hmm. you've got to go inward. You have to find your own. Everybody has their own Patronus, right? Yeah. In the Harry Potter story, nobody can do that for you. You have to muster that up yourself, yeah. and that begins in the forgiveness and yeah. saying to yourself and to the other, "I choose not to let this have power over me and you." Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. I really appreciate that you shared that and the image of your dad coming to help you and your husband put in dimmer switches. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about that. Like it's dimmer switches, but yeah. to a young to 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 a gay man, yeah, who's who's married and in a relationship and and yeah. didn't necessarily have this relationship with a father. That's a huge moment. Yeah. And um the other thing is it to your point about you have to do the work. It's also not a quick fix. That's a really important um, thing to mention. This is not a light switch that goes on and off. It actually is a dimmer and it does change over time. And it, it's a process, hence why Hoffman was called the process. I recognize that now. Um, it, is a, it, is a, it is not a road you cross, it's a, it's a road you walk along, right? This is a journey. Um, and some days will be better than others. In fact, I think learning how to honor that and accept that is, is important and by the way this was also happening in my personal life you mentioned my husband who really is my soulmate he's my saving grace and and he's such a blessing to me because not only was the patterns of my dad manifesting at work but also personally i mean you know this i i would spend gosh hours on grinder for those of you who know what it is it's like a dating app and i would just be like swiping and clicking and and pressing and prodding all the time and i was constantly seeking this validation that julio you are worthy of love and you are worthy of belonging and the more people that validate you uh, the more sure you can be of that. And I was getting nowhere fast. You know, I, I wasn't being able to find connection with a partner. I was looking for the wrong things. And how many of us have said this in, in, you know, colloquially when you're having a glass of wine on the balcony or in someone's backyard, it's like, yeah, I can't find anybody or like my dates never work out or I have two tonight and they don't work out. It's like, I, that used to be me like constantly searching for something. And what I realize is, I wasn't able to find somebody unless I was filling my cup up first. Because if your cup is not fill, full, you can't give to anybody else. You know, your cup has to be running over. Oprah says this, your cup runneth over. And it's only until your cup runs over that you can give to someone. The parallel is on the plane, right? Like you put your oxygen mask on first before somebody else's. 
And I realized that I, I needed to invest in myself, understand myself and keep my cup full. And the minute I was able to do that, the universe invited this man, Jonathan, not my now husband into my life. And honestly, you can't, you can't write the book, like how these things happen. Um, but that was a huge, huge lesson for me is that I see people, friends who will tell me, oh, I can't find, how did you find this so easily? I can't, and I'm like, honey, it's simple. Is your cup full? Are you happy? Because if you can't answer that decisively right now, then you're, t you're, this is the wrong conversation to be having. This is not about this, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry and who you're dating. This is about how, what are you doing to keep your cup full and to invest in yourself. And once you're there, then we have the conversation about the boys and the girls or whatnot, you know, the, yeah, the significant like, other. <clears throat> I used to say to people, it's when you stop looking that it shows up for you. But it also goes to your point around the, the whisper, Yeah. right? If you're out there like scanning and searching and clicking and, yeah. you know, double tapping, you're gonna miss, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah. you're gonna miss all these little signs that are trying to tell you something. Yes. Because your head is down, right? Your head is literally like, it's like in a phone and you're sitting there like, and meanwhile, there's all these things going around you trying yes. to like get your attention. Um, <clears throat> that's a very important point. And I think, you know, so much has changed in that world with digital, but you're right, none of that can replace either the, the work you've got to do. And even, you know, this aspect of, we talked a little bit about it, the, the amazing things like calm and headspace yeah. these are apps that assist with the inner work right yes. they they are the sort of regimen that help you um but they are not a replacement for they are an augmentation yes. of um and that kind of leads me to my my final question here which is what's next for julio and i wonder if your you know a ppm work will lead you to something like a calm or a headspace or that intersection of what you're talking about, technology changing people's lives and all the work that you've done with Hoffman and, and others. I don't know if you've thought about that, but would love to know a little bit about like what's next for Julio. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been journaling and writing and trying to figure out where my next act of service is, you know, where I put my energy to. I certainly think, you know, Prince Harry says this in the me you can't see, and I certainly agree with him. Um, there are two of big issues for the next decade, and one is climate change and the other is mental health. Um, I think my I think mental health for me is is where my passion lies. And so now I need to figure out how do I align my skills and what makes me good at my job as a as a product person, as a marketer, and align that with what I am here to do and what my passion is, which is being in service of, um, helping in the mental health space. And I don't know whether that will lead me to a big tech company again, like a calm or a headspace, or whether it leads me to um, work in the, the, the counseling space. You know, I have a dear friend, Sarah, who was at Google for a decade. In fact, she was uh, in the office of, of Sundar uh, for a while. She was an executive assistant and such a dynamic, wonderful person. And she left Google after 10 years and is now uh, getting her master's in mental health counseling because she has recognized that what her true following is, what her true passion is, is being in service of others and helping people with their um, navigate through their problems. 
And I'm, I'm on that journey to figure it out. I will tell you something that's interesting to me, and I don't know whether, I wonder the 20 year old Julio, even the 17 year old Julio, would they have been, would they have benefit from some of this work? from being more aware of the importance of having a meditative practice, from recognizing that people have mental health issues, from recognizing that people have past traumas that may manifest in their lives today. And that is a whisper right now for me of like, hmm, is there an opportunity to help the future leaders who have just gone through a year of being stuck in isolation, but also four years of political tension and demonstrations of leadership that whether you're on one side of the aisle or not, that are, are questionable. And how do we empower the leaders of tomorrow in this post-COVID world in a way that is um, emotionally intelligent leadership? And to me, that's interesting. Now, I don't know whether it's like they just need to go through it and they need to get they need to cross the chasm when they do and they're not able to receive it. But there, there is a small part of me that's like, hmm, what would it look like for me to um, take this and bring this back to the younger folks who are right now trying to reckon through what does this new world look like for me and how do I show up as an effective leader in the world? Yeah. I think that's I think that's awesome. I mean, I get such energy from this next generation, right? This yeah. the one like I, I watched the um, the commencement of the class of 2021 and like I get so emotional. Which one? Johns Hopkins. OK. Yeah. Mike Bloomberg. Yep. I um, watched that. Yeah, it was it was great because even though, you know, to your point, like Mike Bloomberg, everybody kind of knows him. Yeah, <laughs> he's 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 this mogul. He ran for office. He's he's donated so much money. But in that moment where he's talking to the class of 2021, you know, he explains to them the importance of connecting, yeah. like, and the human experience. And so for, for me, it's like this aspect of, it doesn't matter how much money you've got. It yeah. doesn't matter how much political clout you've got. It doesn't matter, like, start in the place of humanity yes. and connect the dot, just one dot. Yes. And I think that's really great about what you're saying, Julio, is this aspect of like, I want to be able to connect the dot in the earlier part of the trajectory. Yes. Now, I, I think it is a great question. Do people still have to go through the work? Maybe. I don't know yeah. if you and I know that answer. Yeah. But the question becomes is, can I shorten the suffering? Yes. Can I lessen the suffering? And to me, that's where the whisper is coming to you, yes. which I'm super excited about. And I'm already manifesting the future of when that thing is there. You're going to come back here and you're going to tell us what that is. We're going to continue to use this as a platform to echo. I'm so appreciative of the time to connect and, I love and that. for you sharing your story. I love that. Bill, you're, you're a blessing and um, you're touching so many people by making the time to allow people to share their stories. Um, so I, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, let's... Let's not wait 10 years to share the story. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs>